Hello and welcome to the podcast edition of ANC's Matters of Fact. I'm Christian Esguera. Uh, just a few days ago, President Rodrigo Duterte decided to formally begin the process of terminating the Visiting Forces Agreement with the United States. Uh, of course, the reason that he cited was that uh, the United States had to uh, reinstate uh, the, uh, the U.S. visa of uh, Senator Bato de la Rosa. And if not, he would terminate the uh, the visiting forces agreement. Now, was it really the reason which uh, actually prompted the president to uh, to scrap this uh, very important military agreement with with Washington? So for today, we are joined by uh, Professor Renato De Castro, who teaches international relations at De La Salle University. We're going to talk about an article that he a commentary that he published uh, in the Asia. Uh, Asia Maritime Transparency, Transparency Institute in Washington, a Washington-based think tank. Thank you very much for joining us uh, again, Professor De Castro. Thank you very much, Christian, and thank you also. Appreciate it the, uh, for the fact that you have given, a, given me a chance to express my view regarding this very important issue. Okay. Uh, a lot of people tend to uh, somehow oversimplify the analysis of what the president decided to do in the sense that was this really all about the uh, the cancellation of the U.S. visa of Ronald Bato de la Rosa, who happened to be the one who enforced chiefly the uh, bloody war and drugs of the president? What's your reading on this? No, it's just been used as an opportunity to basically implement his long-time plan, which probably has been there since uh, even before he became president. And, of course, the goal is, as he mentioned, uh, after, of course, he got elected, after he assumed office in June 2016, uh, when he had problems with then-President Barack Obama, then when he declared uh, in Beijing that it's time for us to separate uh, from the United States and, of course, gravitate towards China and Russia. So the plan, the scheme has always been there. You see that as consistent? because before Yes, basically. That's his, yeah, that's his approach. Yeah, that's his operational style. So that was a strategy on the part of the president? Yes, yes. As early as, uh, probably even before that, uh, he has already planned. So already indicated that he's not very happy with the policy of the Aquino administration of antagonizing China. And probably it's time for us to cut a deal with China. Uh, if the Chinese will build a rail system in Mindanao, he will forget all about the South China Sea dispute. And of course, he already expressed his doubts about the reliability of the United States as an ally. Where do you think this is coming from? Because during that time, when the president was uh, criticizing the United States and at the same time praising China and Russia, it seemed that most of the comments that he, that he made were more of an outburst by an mm -hmm. angry man, which afterward he tended to forget. No, I don't think so. He has basically uh, has a very, uh, what I would say, cohesive view of the, uh, the, the global s uh, system. You know, for him, uh, China is an emergent power. Uh, the United States is unreliable. The United States is a problem in the region. Russia is out there, but it's Russia is a friend. Mm -hmm. uh, on one hand, it's his view regarding contemporary internationalism. Another is also a matter of his, I would use to say, political ideology. Which is? It's very much fascinated with authoritarian system. So China and Russia both represent authoritarian system. He simply admire authoritarianism and power. 
So, so this approach by the president in terms of dealing with the United States and Russia and China, do you think this is something that is deeply ideological on the part of the president? And number two, deeply personal. Deeply personal, and uh, this is what you call operational code. This is how he views the world. China and Russia are becoming powerful. They're competing with the United States. And he could relate with them because they are authoritarian system. You have, of course, uh, President Putin, President Xi Jinping, who are both embodiment of power. So this is something he admires. This is something he really uh, wants to uh, achieve. He's very much obsessed with power, so absolute power. So you think the president, President Duterte, somehow believes that uh, he has more shared values and Shared values with those authoritarian system. Than with the United States. No, he hates the United States. The, for him, the United States is a symbol of decadence, symbol of weakness, uh, it's intervening in our affairs because of human rights issues, and the United States is a declining power. And a destabilizing power in the region, that would have to be pushed out of China, and he should have a role in pushing the United States out of the region. Now, is the president wrong in that regard? Uh, it's a matter of perspective. You know, that's his point of view, but I don't think that's shared by the majority of the Filipinos, but, but based what on the surveys. But what do you think? I don't uh, I don't think that's really the case. I don't think the United States is already out of the equation. The United States is still a power to reckon with in the region. And as, you know, looking at it as a Filipino citizen, we share values with the United States in terms, of course, of liberal democratic values, rule of law, and the fact that power should be constrained. And that's the very essence of liberal democracy, mm -hmm. that uh, institutions should be balancing mm -hmm. uh, each other's power because that is how you manage power. Power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Uh, but, but you know, this, uh, this view of the, of the president regarding the United States is also espoused by other people, the idea that the United States is a declining power yeah, and that yeah. China is the rising power. Yes, yes, that this century belongs to, to China. That's why it might be uh, wise for the Philippines to somehow uh, uh, keep distance with, uh, with the United States and get closer to China? Uh, I think the jury is still out there whether China would be the power to reckon with. Uh, so you simply basically have to remove the United States. I don't think so. Uh, the United States is still a very powerful country. Uh, the United States, for one, is the only superpower in the world. China is not yet a superpower. You become a superpower if you fight and win a major war. Mm. China has not won a single war. And given the realities on the ground in the world today, China, they cannot they, afford to actually engage in a war. Uh, they cannot. That's why they're engaging the United States in what you call asymmetric or gray zone operation. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's a recognition of the fact that China has not yet achieved the parity in terms of uh, military economic capabilities. And of course, in recent events show that Ch the United States still hold, uh, hold the, the aces. Mm -hmm. For example, uh, with the trade deal between China and the United States, China extended all the concessions. It basically would buy uh, $50 billion worth of uh, agricultural products from the United States. It's willing to restructure its economy, making it more open, and of course promise the United States that it will not anymore conduct, conduct I'm sorry, uh, economic espionage. Mm -hmm. The United States did not extend a single concession. Which was actually part of the campaign promise of Donald Trump. Trump, yeah. And of course the fact that what's happening in Taiwan, recently you have the electoral victory of the uh, party that's, of course, uh, leaning towards independence and, of course, what's happening in Hong Kong. 
Mm. So those are indications that at this point in time, when you talk about the U.S.-China strategic competition, the United States is actually gaining the upper hand. And this is the reason why China, despite being the second largest economy, is a distant second. It's a distant second, of course, also in terms of the military capability. Mm -hmm. Now, this is the big picture that we're talking about. But uh, when you talk about the decision by President Duterte to, uh, to formally, officially junk the visiting force agreement with the United States, I was looking at your article, and uh, it's very interesting that you ask this question. Is the decision whimsical or insidious? Yeah. Why did you say insidious? It's, he planned it. He planned it as early as 2016 when he announced, uh, I think this was around July, and he was speaking in front of the, uh, of the uh, of Army Division. I think it was in Pampanga uh, when he basically said, I, uh, sooner or later, we have to cross the Rubicon. Mm. Uh, of course, it's a metaphor for breaking our relationship with the United States and pivoting towards Russia and China. And he said, sooner or later, it will be very painful, but we will have to cross the Rubicon. We have to drop the United States as, a, you know, like a hot potato. But that also suggests or means that th this is a point of no return. Yes. Yeah. Well, once you cross the Rubicon, you have to, uh, of course, the metaphor, uh, go back to Caesar. Yeah. But I'm curious about the timing. Why now? Uh, two factors there. Number one, of course, when he tried to do it, he was parted by the Armed Forces of the Philippines. This was around October. So he wanted this to, to come sooner. He wanted it. Uh, he tried it when he announced, I think when he announced it in Beijing, uh, late October 2016, he was really determined to make that separation a case of severing the ties. Mm -hmm. But when he was first confronted by the leadership of the Department of National Defense and the Armed Forces of the Philippines, he... Uh, he stepped backward. He but what, what, what was the difference between then and now? When before, the defense uh, officials, the armed forces of, of the Philippines were able to prevail upon him. But now, it doesn't seem to be the case. Well, he has, of course, increased the defense budget. He increased the salary of the military. He approved of the second horizons of the armed forces of the Philippines modernization program. So uh, based on his calculation, he thinks that he now has, of course, the uh, military on his side. Uh, I don't think that's the case, you know. Uh, it was, I heard, uh, I have information that up to the last moment, the Department of National Defense and the Armed Forces of the Philippines were, of course, very, uh, were against that decision to severe, uh, to scrap the visiting force agreement. But the other calculation, of course, is the ongoing U.S.-China strategic competition. Mm -hmm. His perspective is China is winning the game, and he has to help China. He would have to help China by simply undermining the uh, the ace in the sleeves of the United States, and that's of course the alliances. So this is a gamble on the part of President Duterte, uh, siding with China because he thinks that the United States is yeah, declining. Yeah, he thinks. Yeah, that's basically his. Uh, again, it's uh, operational code. The United States has simply has no chance of uh, winning in this uh, competition but against but China. But which brings me back to the original question: How come he did not listen to his military advisors? to his defense officials this time. He decided to proceed with he, determination. He thinks what is important is China would back him. That is the most important factor. And probably another factor is the fact that it's last two years. So he will have to leave a legacy. Anyway, he won't be running for a second term, so might as well basically make a lasting legacy, and that's, of course, severing our security ties with the United States and, of course, jumping on the Chinese bandwagon. When you sever ties with the United States, can that actually be described as a legacy? That's his legacy. That's one his legacy. That uh, 
in a way, he has effected changes not only in terms of domestic, unraveling, undermining the oligarchs, and at the same time changing our foreign policy to what he perceived as an independent foreign policy, which is, of course, far from being independent. Mm -hmm. Because being independent means you're not dependent or you're not siding with any of the great powers. In this case, it's independence from the United States then going towards dependence towards China. Basically choosing one power over, over the, the other. other. Okay. Of course. Now, we know for a fact that the left are supportive of the president's decision to terminate the uh, visiting force agreement for an ideological reason mm -hmm. primarily. But they are not in favor of the reason cited by the president. But you said it's much more complicated, more complicated. and much more sophisticated than that, mm -hmm. right? Yes. yes. But, but, but uh, what does the, uh, what, how would this impact on the Philippines primarily? The fact that we decided to sever ties with the United States as far as, at this point, the VFA is concerned. Well, uh, of course, at this point in time, Malacanang is saying, Severing the time in terms of scrapping the PFA would not affect the two other uh, agreements. M uh, uh, the Mutual Defense Treaty of 1951, the 2014 Enhanced Defense Cooperation Agreement. But as mentioned by Secretary Luxin, uh, that had basically, you know, by scrapping or junking the Visiting Forces Agreement, we, uh, he has rendered the, military def uh, the Mutual Defense Treaty and the Enhanced Defense Cooperation Agreement as pieces of paper. Mm -hmm. So, you know, basically they're useless without uh, the BFA. Uh, so the uh, next move or next gambit would say, what's the point of maintaining the species of paper? Might as well throw them into the trash can. Anyway, they're useless. So you think that is the logical next step? That, that would be the logical. Just probably waiting or probably since he already got the initiative, probably push for it. It's, you know, classic Machiavellian. If you have to do something drastic, do it fast. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, that also presupposes that that would uh, depend on how people or stakeholders would actually react to that. Yeah, because you're taken aback. Yeah. You never expect it to happen that fast. Mm -hmm. It's just like what the Nazi did in, the, uh, in Germany in the 1930s. <laughs> Blitzkrieg. Blitzkrieg. You have to do it fast <laughs> no. before uh, the other side could react. So, so after the scrapping of the Visiting Force Agreement, which you think would come next? EDCA or the MDT I think the itself? Mutual Defense Agreement. They would, go st uh, they would go for the jugular here? Yes, that's it. Severe, the, uh, that's a ba basis. The primary foundation of the alliance after, of course, the uh, military bases uh, were withdrawn from the country in 1991. What has basically remained was, of course, the Mutual Defense Treaty of 1951. So it's for them, you know, radio racing. What's the use of this Cold War artifact? So it's time basically to do away. But, but given the challenges now, um, uh, this is 2020. We have uh, an entirely different set of challenges compared to the challenges that we encountered during the Cold War era mm -hmm. where this MDT was uh, agreed upon between the Philippines and the United States. We are considered as the oldest treaty ally of the United mm -hmm. States in this part of the world. Uh, is this something that uh, we still need or we need, but we need to somehow uh, renegotiate with the United States, this MDT? My point of view is, uh, yeah, we still need it for two reasons. Number one, of course, is strategic. Uh, we still don't know how, ch how China would behave as an emergent power. At this point in time, I'm very much concerned of Chinese beha behavior because of its uh, goal of maritime expansion. Mm. China is not a satisfied power. It wants, in a way, unravel the system, what they would call the 
order, the international current or, uh, international order that it perceives as basically dominated by the United States. Mm -hmm. So it wants it does not want to be integrated. It wants to basically remodel the system in a way it will suit its interests. And of I, course, I, I'm curious about that you know, that objective that you're talking about by China. Uh, does it mean that China wants to take the place of the United States as the lone dominant superpower, no. or it wants to uh, occupy a special place in a multipolar world? Uh, China's view is more of regional. Mm. China realized after the implosion of the Soviet Union that you could not compete with the United States head-on, on a global scale. So what China's goal is basically to ensure that it will have the strategic initiative in the region. Mm -hmm. uh, it has a number of concerns in the region. Number one, of course, the issue of Taiwan, the renegade province. Number two, the issue of Japan. Mm -hmm. uh, what will be basically the, uh, the position of Japan? And the third one is, of course, control of the first island chain, mm -hmm. wherein, of course, China would make sure that no hostile navy would be navigating in those waters. You know, the, wa uh, the waters uh, inside, you know, the island chain cons uh, made up of Japan, Taiwan in the Philippines, East Asia. That's and a, yeah, that's what we call the first island chain. And then the second island chain, chain that's would why be as far as Guam. Yeah. So from a Chinese position at this point in time, those waters should uh, become, you know, only should only be the domain of the People's Liberation Army's Navy, or it should, should be a Chinese lake. So basically, China wants to dominate the neighborhood. The neighborhood. As what President Xi Jinping said in 2015, Asian problems must be solved by Asians alone. I think I, I heard something similar to that during the Second yeah, World yeah, War when the Japanese point. came over in the yeah. Philippines. Yes. <laughs> uh, East Asia called Prosperity Sphere. It's <laughs> probably the 21st century version. So uh, that's the Chinese position that uh, uh, we want to make sure that, you know, uh, China's uh, will have the strategic initiative. Sh China should be the power to reckon with, with the region. It doesn't want to engage the United States in a global competition. This is the idea behind what Xi Jinping forwarded or, you know, uh, forwarded to uh, then-President Barack Obama in 2013. New great power relationship. Mm -hmm. China has three core interests in the region, Taiwan, Tibet, and the South China Sea, and the United States should have no business and meddling in those affairs. And what is the Philippines doing so far? Are we somehow giving everything to China on a silver platter? Very much. Yeah, we're putting our head on the silver platter they were offering to China, courtesy of our beloved president. Now, on the other hand, we know that the VFA is not a perfect agreement. There had been a lot of complaints about the VFA before the Senate, led by the late uh, Miriam Defensor Santiago, actually uh, mm -hmm. spearheaded a Senate resolution uh, calling for determination of the VFA. Okay, so this is not a perfect agreement, but since the president has already initi initiated determination, we have to wait for 180 days. What can we expect after this is officially terminated, after 180 days? I think the, uh, the armed forces of the Philippines and the United States armed forces will still conduct military exercises. Uh, and they'll try to find ways and means in which they could continue those military exercises without a uh, status of forces agreement. But can you actually do that? Yeah, they can. They without did. Without the VFA? They did. Uh, after, of course, the Supreme Court uh, declared in 1994 that the Status of Forces Agreement that was signed in 1947 when the basis were here had officially expired, and that there's a need for a new uh, status, uh, legal guarantee or status for American forces conducting it. You have, of course, a suspension of large-scale military exercises from 1994 
to 2000, but it did not, uh, you know, uh, there was a, uh, there was no status of force agreement. Mm. Uh, you have small scale military exercises. And mind you, it was the Philippines who asked, who initiated the negotiation for a visiting forces agreement. But that was a different time. We know that we have a different president now. Yes, that was a, uh, but uh, if you look back into history, it was the Philippines that asked for a visiting forces agreement. But, but, but who is the real winner and who is the real loser here? I think it's uh, both sides. Uh, the Philippines, basically, uh, the primary loser, because again, uh, we need military exercises to train the armed forces of the Philippines. Uh, plus, of course, we also need American military presence, and this became very apparent during the Siege of Marawi. Mm -hmm. uh, at the onset of the Siege of Marawi, the Philippine military, the Philippine army realized that sim they simply don't know how many of those Islamic militants were operating, where are they. So we have to ask the Americans to provide us intelligence reconnaissance, aer aerial reconnaissance that was provided by the P-8 Poseidon. So, so that is on the part of the Philippines. That's but on the part. What does the United States stand to lose here? Uh, having what they call warm places where they can train their forces just in case you have push, uh, push comes to shove. Uh, of course, in terms of the counter-terrorism campaign, that uh, you will have probably portions of Mindanao that could not anymore be monitored by the Armed Forces of the Philippines simply because they don't have the capabilities that will, of course, become eventually haven for new uh, militant groups but that but will but be operating. It, but it doesn't necessarily follow that the, United, that the, that the Philippines would actually uh, forget about it. It's, its responsibility to go after terrorists. Yes, but of course, what is important there is you have additional capabilities. Intelligence, Intelligence gathering and sharing. Gathering, sharing. Because I think after the 9-11 uh, attacks, the United States made it clear and tried to make sure that these terrorists would be uh, <laughs> monitored. handled, monitored, that, uh, where yeah. they are before they can even arrive yeah. on American soil. Uh, yes, that's uh, around 2005 when the Joint Special, Ra uh, Special Operation Task Force Philippines was formed mm -hmm. during the time of President Gloria Macapagalero. That's the time uh, where you have even about 600 U.S. Special Forces operating in some uh, in some Bonga. Now, I think the number has been dr uh, dramatically reduced since, I think, 2012 or 2013, but you still have about 130. Uh, their importance, of course, became very apparent during the siege of Marawi. Yeah. Now, given the uh, strategic importance, geographically strategic importance of the Philippines uh, for China, for the United States, uh, in this theater of competition, which is the South China Sea, uh, can we say that somehow with, th with this decision by President Duterte to terminate the VFA, that somehow uh, we have we have gone closer, or the, the United States has lost the Philippines to China? Not yet. Not yet. The jury is still out. Uh, the uh, Mutual Defense Treaty is still there. Uh, the EDCA is still there. The close military cooperation between the United States Armed Services and the Armed Forces of the Philippines is still there. So this is, of course, a challenge for our president who wanted to win away not only the Philippines, but the Armed Forces of the Philippines away from their very important ally, you know, the United States, the uh, Armed Forces of the United States. So Is he had to basically tell every AFP officer, you cannot anymore train in the United States. You cannot anymore have military exercises, whether it's conventional or unconventional. Uh, you have to do away with your equipment in terms of, uh, you know, new equipment or maintaining old equipment that have been made in the United States. You have to look elsewhere. Mm -hmm. 
Now, with this decision by President Duterte to terminate the VFA, is China ultimately the, the biggest it's winner the here? the biggest winner. And China needs that win at the time that it seems that China has been put in the defensive because of the fact that it, you know, it basically was the one who uh, lost it out during the uh, trade war. Mm. It signed a deal where it, of course, extended all the uh, concessions. Number two, of course, is Taiwan. What happened in Taiwan? You have the election of the uh, DPP, which is, of course, a party that's leaning towards uh, independence. And you have, of course, initiative of the Trump administration to provide to strengthen the de facto recognition of Taiwan yeah. as an independent republic. What's happening in Hong Kong? And, of course, with the coronavirus that have put China on the defensive. So China needs a cookie point. <laughs> and no less than our beloved president provided that, that cookie point. The oldest strategic ally of the United States slowly gravitating towards a xenocentric regional order. What do you expect afterward? Do you expect China to be more assertive, even more aggressive uh, in the West Philippine Sea because of this? I think China would play it smartly. China will make it appear, oh, no, no, we have nothing to do with that. But deep inside them, they're gloating. You know, they basically was able to turn again the Philippines, you know. Uh, before, of course, they had uh, probably a candidate who's, who they deem as very friendly to them. And now this candidate has become president and has started the process wherein slowly the Philippines is cutting its ties with the United States and drifting towards China. And somehow this candidate has delivered for them. They have delivered for them at the time they needed him most. I, don't, I hope I'm not exaggerating here, but, uh, but when you talk about the uh, first island chain, the second island chain, we know for a fact that uh, part of China's designs is to actually occupy Scarborough Shoal. And mm -hmm. we know the importance of the United States in terms of trying to deter that. Of course, if you talk to Philippine authorities, they would say that that was among the red lines mm -hmm. uh, established by the Philippine government. Don't touch Scarborough. But today, in effect, that has long been controlled by China since 2012. Yeah, for the, this current administration, it's no more a problem. They could even invite the Chinese to build a, a f in infrastructure there. Do you think they would finally go in because yeah, of this? Yeah, probably this administration will even provide the, uh, the sand the raw materials that they could get from uh, Luzon to build those structures. But in the first place, how did the uh, United States uh, somehow prevent China from doing that? We know that I think in the United States, they spoke to us. No, 2015, uh, when Chine the, uh, China ordered a huge dredging mm -hmm. vessel from the Netherlands. In 2015, it was announced that the vessel was, of course, finished and it was being you know, sent to China. It's an indication that China would start the dredging of the Scarborough Shoal. President Obama, then President Obama called for a, cab, you know, uh, a meeting with the Pentagon. And uh, one of those who attended there was the former PACOM commander, Brian, uh, Admiral uh, Brian Harris, who said, uh, rhetorically said, are we going to war over Iraq? So it's sending a message. Mm. Although the question is very rhetorical, it's sending a message that the Obama administration is pondering on the possibility of going to war over Scarborough Shoal. It sent, and of course, at the time, President Xi Jinping was in Washington, D.C. That's where President Obama asked him, are you going to militarize? Are you militarizing the, so uh, the South China Sea? President Xi Jinping said, no, no, we'll never militarize the South China Sea. So they held back. They held back. Mm. But, we know that but we know that the plan is still there. The plan is still there. Mm. And you notice that our president behaves just like the Chinese Communist Party. 
you know, uh, in a very insidious manner. In what way? They don't reveal to you their plan, their intention, but it's always there long term. <laughs> so there's more method to this madness. Uh, of course, it's not just a matter of uh, uh, ideology, but even in terms of methodology. Okay. Now, uh, the response of the U.S. Embassy in Manila to the decision by the, uh, by the president, President Duterte, to officially start the process of termination, this was the response. This is a serious step with significant implications for the U.S.-Philippines alliance. We will carefully consider how best to move forward to advance our shared interests. How do you think? Well, Would Washington respond to this? They emphasize the fact that we still share interests, despite the fact that the president have already scrapped a very important alliance. They recognize we still share common values, sh shared common security interests, but now they have to sit back and think how they would pursue those shared interests. But so how they're in a process of pondering. But how do you think uh, Washington would respond? Uh, number one, of course, they would sit back, analyze. Is this a long-term challenge? How will this affect our competition with China? So if they see that you know this is basically providing China the upper hand, they will have to act drastically and dramatically. And what do you mean by dramatically and drastically? Well, uh, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, historically, we, bo uh, we look back into the Cold War. I mentioned that uh, in my article. <laughs> it's quite uh, telling. <laughs> yeah, what happened? When you have a defection by an ally on both sides during the Cold War, yeah. you have the Warsaw Pact and NATO. Uh, in the case of the Soviet Union, you have two allies that decided to defect. Hungary in the 1950s and Czechoslovakia. Look what happened to those countries. In the case of uh, you know, what we call the free world, uh, you have the election of a left-wing president in Guatemala, mm -hmm. 1954. Uh, our events, you know, what happened was overthrown by a CIA launch back coup. Then, of course, a more tragic part happened in Chile. What are you saying here? <laughs> no, I'm sorry, <laughs> talking about those uh, operations. They do. You know, just saying go. The strong do what they have to do. The weak would have to accept their fate. Okay, I'll leave it at that. But okay. uh, in this case, do you think uh, w one option is this? They can just weather this out. The president's term will end in 2022, and that's assuming that the next president would be friendly to the United States. Oh, uh, I think they learned their lesson. Uh, sometimes they realize that it's not uh, wise, prudent to wait, especially, of course, it's election period in the United States. Mm. November. The current president who announced, who declared that uh, you know, making America strong or great again cannot afford to be accused of being weak or losing a strategic ally. He will be put in a defensive. He will be forced to act if there's any criticism from the Democrats that he lost a very important ally. So remember, this is election year. Both sides should make it appear that they're strong domestically and internationally. So you think uh, this could become an important election this issue? This will be a very important election issue. So uh, two uh, aspects. We lost an ally. Number two, of course, an issue of human rights and democracy. Mm. So uh, let's see. Uh, we can only wait and see. So, so a big part of how the United States would react uh, it's also influenced by the election season. Yeah, it's election season. So sometimes egos or propaganda strategies would also come in. It that will. means, they will come to, yeah, 
that means Donald Trump would have to respond dramatically. Dramatically, yes. If he's accused of being weak, of he's accused of losing an ally. But but you've heard the uh, the the pronouncements from President Duterte and from President Donald Trump. They seem to like each other on yeah, a personal yeah, level. On a personal level, but uh, it seems that they share a lot of values. Yeah, but uh, at the end of the day, they're still presidents of uh, two sovereign countries. So uh, they uh, plus, of course, you talk in terms also of the bureaucracy, and also in talking terms of external powers. Mm. Uh, president, I think, from the perspective of President Trump, it's the United States interest. From the perspective of our president, uh, he has to look at his backer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he uh, uh, acts alone. He consults somebody probably during the midnight, having tea. I'm, also, I'm actually curious about the, uh, the, the messaging that attended this, uh, this brouhaha over the termination of the VFA. Because originally, there was an announcement from uh, Duterte's spokesman, Salvador Panelo, which was denied and described as fake news by Defense Secretary Delphine Lorenzana. And then a few days after, Malacanang made it official. The notice of termination had been signed, had been sent. How do you, what do you make of that? I think, uh, this is just my, my hunch, I think the military and the Defense Department tried to make a heroic last-ditch effort to convince the president. That, and they failed. Uh, and they failed. So uh, I don't think the people in the, ar the Armed Forces of the Philippines and the Defense Department are very happy by the fact that uh, they were not able to uh, change the decision of the president. Let's talk long term here. How would this affect Philippine interests? We're not just talking about modernization because, w of course, they mm -hmm. say that uh, part of the budget is included in the uh, General Appro Appropriations Act. But, of course, we would need the help. Donations, mm -hmm. for example, assistance from other countries, in, the, in this case, the United States. How would this impact our interests in the long term? Number one, for example, Malacanang has been saying that uh, we can always um, strike deals or alliances with other countries aside from the United States, basically saying that this is not the end of it. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of having deals or other countries, I don't think any Western country would cut a deal with the Philippines. I heard that Secretary Panela said that the UK is interested with the Bisling Force Agreement. I don't think so. <laughs> that's, that's, again, that's crap. Uh, we just listed the, uh, the UK as one of the countries that is being punished for voting, you know, voting in the United Nations Human Rights Committee to have the Philippines investigated. Yeah. So I don't think the UK will be, uh, uh, you know, interested in signing a Bisling Force Agreement. Uh, Japan definitely, I don't think, will... Uh, uh, Again, push for a visiting force. Australia probably is rethinking mm -hmm. of continuing its visiting force agreement. Uh, I don't think China would be that willing because it d doesn't want to be put in the limelight. So those and are, of course, and issues. And actually, if you're China, why would you go to that extent at this point when on paper the Philippines still has an MVP? Ah, uh, yes. With China the thinks we'll States. have to wait. Mm -hmm. China. My primary concern, and this is a concern of a Filipino academic is the fact that the current action of this president is putting us right in the middle of this strategic competition between the United States and China. But I thought that was the thing that the president wanted to avoid. Uh, that's what's what called the law of unintended consequences. It's just like going back to Oedipus Rex. Mm -hmm. You know, the father of Oedipus Rex, you try to prevent basically a prophecy from happening. In the end, it happened. It happened. Because of your actions also. Because of your actions. So this is what it's turning at 
explaining yeah. out to do. Yes, it's the law of unintended consequences. And finally, how do we extricate ourselves from this? Uh, hopefully, the Filipinos will be wise enough to choose a president who would really ensure that we will have a genuine independent foreign policy. A foreign policy that will mean independence from one power and from the other. Not being independent from one, then leaning to another. Because that's far from being what is independent. And just to be clear, not to be pro-American, not to be pro-China, but basically pro think in terms of our people's interest, and that's for survival in this very challenging 21st century international system. But the way you sounded, it seems that you're already giving up on this administration, and oh let's no. just wait for the next administration. Well, uh, hopefully, hopefully, uh, because we never know. He, uh, again, he mentioned this right from the horse's mouth in January 2018, right? He wants the Philippines to be a province of one country. But that was a joke. Oh, no, I don't <laughs> think that. You ask a psychiatrist you know, about <laughs> regarding jokes, right? Uh, a Freudian slip of tongue. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Professor Renato De Castro, thank you very yeah. much for joining us today. Always a pleasure, sir. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much again, Christian. And that's it for this week's episode. Catch us again next week for another edition of the Matters of Fact podcast. Music